Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. A few weeks ago, we shared the latest data from the Momentum Customer Buying Index. And in this episode, we'd like to unpack what it means for marketing. So I'm thrilled to be joined by quite a formidable guest who has an amazing track record in transforming marketing, both at Thomson Reuters and more recently, giving Capita's entire go-to-market a facelift to drive growth. Welcome to Antonia Wade, Chief Marketing Officer at Capita. Thank you very much, Alicia. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Um, Fascinating report. And yeah, very excited to have the discussion. Great to have you with us. Would love for you to start by just giving a a brief introduction into who you are and, and what you're doing at Capita. Yeah, thanks. So Capita is a consulting digital services and software business. We provide all sorts of services, about 40% into government um, and the rest into private sector across a number of different areas. So we help to manage and distribute things like benefits, housing benefits, for example. We run customer management for some of the UK's best loved brands. We collect uh, money for, for example, license fees for BBC. And we provide software solutions that do all sorts of interesting things like connecting ambulances, for example. So we run uh, the software that sits behind the emergency services right through to we run the software that helps to distribute exam results um, and Ofsted and primary school ratings. So a very complicated business. The types of services that we sell uh, really range into things like price, very different types of buyers for all the different types of services we offer. So very interesting business to uh, head the marketing function of. I've been here for about 16 months and in that time, At the point at which I joined, it was a very disparate marketing function. We had about 60 different marketing teams that were not connected to each other, around 180 brands, 140-odd websites, um, and 2,000 social accounts. And the team and I, yeah, uh, and the team and I have basically transformed the function. So we did a brand equity study. We've refreshed the brand. We replatformed the website. We put in Salesforce and Pardot. So we have a full tech stack now in place. And we brought the full team together into one marketing team to create hopefully good enjoyable careers for the very talented people that I have in my team and really gone from not knowing the value that marketing brought probably actually on balance being a a cost to the business to this year we've driven around 25% of unweighted pipeline for what is a multi-billion pound company so really proud of what the team's achieved And in terms of my background, you know, you mentioned kindly, thank you for the intro that I have done a number of transformations. I really see this capita job as being like the child of the parents of my last two jobs. So at Thomson Reuters, I led two transformations, uh, one in Europe and then one globally, where again, we took marketing from being a cost to the business to being a real revenue driver by putting in a tech stack, by replatforming all of the messaging and really bringing marketing and sales closer together service of the customer and prior to that I I spent 10 years at Accenture um, which is a phenomenal place to uh, learn your trade as a marketer I mean they basically invented account-based marketing and so you know really learned some core solid marketing principles uh, around brand around marketing into enterprise accounts um, and around how to engage sales and marketing collaboratively uh, in that uh, pursuit which have really served me well uh, in the last two jobs that I've done so fantastic capital 
sound like they've got this huge breadth in, in terms of offering and, and you've done an amazing job in, in getting your arms around it in such a short short space of time. Talk to me about growth, Antonia. What what does growth mean to you in, in your role as Chief Marketing Officer? Yeah, so I think that there are a number of areas uh, where we look to help Capita grow its business. So first of all, I think that when you're selling complicated solutions to ambiguous problems, and particularly in B2B where the risk of making decisions can be quite high because the stuff that we sell is expensive, really you need to, people want to buy from authorities. So first part of it is you have to grow your brand equity. And for us, that really that really comes around making sure that our messaging is highly relevant, but also that we're very differentiated. And we've really put a lot of thought into thinking about how do we position our brand, how do we show up across channels, and perhaps we'll come back to that, the importance of that now post-COVID, but also what do we stand for and and building out our thought leadership capability. Then we look at um, our top accounts. So like a lot of B2B organisations, most of our revenue sits within our top accounts. So how we engage with them, how we build loyalty, how we show them the breadth of what Capita has so that they can get more value out of us, so that we can support the growth of our business through cross and upsell and then lastly how do we acquire new new clients um, and how do we originate new business and what are the right places to be doing that and how do we do that in a profitable way that makes sure that our cost to acquire that customer is appropriate to the ultimate value and the lifetime value of that client we're doing some quite interesting things into next year to really look at what can what's marketing's role in thinking about that long tail of customers and how do we create a better less uh, well more friction free experience of buying from us particularly in the lower value more transactional parts of our business There's a lot of talk, Antonia, about um, marketing getting harder, sales getting harder in, in the in the current climate, particularly with this um, shift to virtual selling. And something we've seen in in the data is 42% of large businesses are actually finding it harder to buy, and and that's only getting more and more complex as they've got internal stakeholders to rally. They're not meeting as many vendors or third parties. Have you seen this have any kind of effect on on your top accounts or those long tail of customers you refer to? So it's really interesting what happened over the last kind of nine months. So to start with, immediately post-COVID, we actually had quite a lot of demand for our services. And what I find fascinating from a marketing perspective is really the role of brand in that. So what happened was people picked up the phone quite proactively to us to ask us to help them with these ambiguous, unprecedented, unexpected problems they were facing. But it really tended to be in our core offering, which we were really well known for. Now, what that makes me wonder as a CMO, as we're trying to transform our brand and perhaps shift some of our brand strategy, in the long term, is is that going to have hurt us or helped us? Obviously, in the short term, it helped us. But in the longer term, you know, being known for what you've always been known for is really, really great. But, you know, if you're trying to build out your capabilities, you know, perhaps that we might all find that that's taken us a bit of a, a step backwards in terms of perception. The second thing is that I think that we did see a real lift in procurement processes because people just needed desperately to fill to help to with these unexpected challenges. 
And actually procurement was quite quick. But what I think we'll all see happening now is that big decisions are going to get delayed, continuing macroeconomic uncertainty. You know, brands are not, clients are not going to want to make big working capital commitments or on the government side, you know, big policy commitments outside dealing with the immediate COVID crisis. And so actually, I think procurement is going to get harder. And I think selling into that is going to get harder. So I thought it was really interesting in your survey, this point about this 42%. And yet what I suspect will happen is that their own procurement processes might make it even harder for vendors to be able to access them because of this, you know, this continued you know, uncertainty around kind of ongoing working capital. So I think, you know, we're all creating, we're going to potentially see us, everyone's creating this sort of bind for themselves. I think that what is going to need to happen then with these large businesses who are finding it really hard to buy because of this way of working is that suddenly the role of marketing becomes quite important around making sure that you are working harder to be relevant because we can't expect um, we can't expect clients to do some of the hard work of trying to figure out our business that perhaps we've become a bit lazy about. Instead, we're going to have to really lean into account-based marketing, messaging, tone of voice. We're doing some quite interesting work looking at buying groups and behavioral science to try and think about how do we show up better. And um, we've also done quite a lot of work really looking at our bid process. So how do we have a bit more of a an engaging and self-directed by the client way of working around our organization and the content in a bid process because we can't assume that they're going to do the work of trying to figure out how to work with capita and so that role i think has always been a really important sales and account management role i think there's now marketing needs to help to do that up front so that we become easy to buy from yeah i mean this this all sounds like fantastic news for um, you know, sharpening the, the go-to-market, sharpening how customers are interacting, making it easier to buy for them. What What's the the niggle in, in, in your head? Is it, what are we leaving behind or, or potentially leaving off the table by focusing on ABM messaging, buyer teams, moving marketing later into that, that buying cycle as well through the RFP process? One of the pieces of data that I thought was really interesting in the report was around 77% of buyers feeling like we weren't communicating frequently enough with them. And I think that what account-based marketing does is give you a lot of focus and you can, as you, you can go really deep into the account and really think about who is that network of buyers within the account. But I guess what we need to make sure that we don't do is kind of lose sight of what might be the emerging accounts that would come into account-based marketing or even the unfound accounts, i.e. are you originating enough new business? I think that if we saw a pure retrenchment into just focusing on our top customers and our top accounts, we might look back in five years and wish that we hadn't been so exclusive about it. So hopefully that answers your question. You know, I, I do think that lead gen is going to, if, you know, if you're going to have to make a trade off, you'll probably try and double down into account based marketing. I think that my then what we'll have to do is to make sure that we maintain the lead generation and origination piece by using our tools and our systems really, really well. And I think that that's still something, honestly, that marketers are learning to do. And I don't think that it's well enough embedded yet that we can really use, you know, you know, when I see the best practice of some of the best in a business, like using the tech stack brilliantly, or it's almost like, you know, you can go in and say, for this, for this lead gen uh, activity, I want to choose campaign type 
see and here's therefore the flows all built out here's the content requirement you put it in and it basically operates itself with a whole load of uh, complexity built in around triggers and behaviors against the channels we're just not there yet and I don't think we're alone in Capita at not being there yet yeah, there's definitely gaps in in how your organizations are able to leverage things like AI and, and getting that optimal digital to to human handoff. So you're you're still aware of the complexity in that 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 buying cycle, but applying relevant content and interactions through that experience itself. And for, for you, it sounds like there's there's been a big emphasis on some of those channels and how you're really thinking about engaging both um, existing customers and, and some of these acquisition accounts. How how have how's the whole switch um away from things like physical events and um, um, in-person selling um, affected you and and how are you creating a dialogue with customers? So at the outset, uh, if I think back into kind of April, May time, actually it was it was good for us in marketing. What we found was a really even deeper, greater partnership with sales, where sales were coming to us asking for thought leadership, asking us for social stream of activity, asking us for data and insights into what was happening, for example, on capita.com and what we could learn from it, asking about they could engage more meaningfully with clients against channels that have been typically felt to be owned by marketing, for example, webinars, social versus their more face-to-face type activity. So that was really, really good. I think that the challenge for us is going to be to maintain that. And particularly, you know, if you could imagine a world where face-to-face comes back, how do we make sure that we are genuinely omni-channel and that we are creating that experience and that consistent experience across all of them? Because I think it is going to be an and. And whilst we've talked for a while in B2B marketing about being omni-channel, we've all really known that one channel is more important than the others, which has always been the face-to-face channel. So, you know, I I don't think the genie is going to go back in the bottle, but I think it's going to be a real effort of work for sales and marketing teams to maintain the volume, consistency, and also just the quality of content across all of those channels. And, you know, for us, like many others, you know, often we've used events as great content generators, and then we've sort of dined out on that event investment over a course of, you know, three, six months. And, you know, we can't really do that anymore. So how do we make sure that we maintain that dialogue? I, I think it's going to be really hard to say. Yeah. It's an t- it's exciting challenge, but it's going to be tough. Just on that point of omni-channel, it's a topic that I was talking about just a few days ago, that the B2B buying cycle isn't linear. And you've touched on this idea of, you know, how can you increase volume of, of communication? But can you apply an omni-channel approach when it isn't a one-size-fits-all, particularly your public sector accounts, your enterprise accounts? Well, you have to flex it according to the industry and according to the person. And I think that that was always true, actually. But I, I think the individual becomes quite important as well. So let me explain what I mean. So I think we've all been reading and hearing about the kind of Amazon approach to personalization. And I think the challenge for B2B marketers is that people are going to expect a consumer-like marketing experience from B2B organizations. However, they're also going to expect us to be able to market into the buying group and understand that buying dynamic And they're also going to expect us to be able to market to them enterprise to enterprise. So there's kind of three layers of marketing. And then how much or little you do of each will obviously depend on 
the industry, for example, you would take a different approach in some parts of government than you might take in some parts of the private sector, but also personality types. So you know, we're now trying to use behavioral data, social data, you know, to, and what we have in our CRM system to be able to try and make it the right channel mix for personality types and also functional. Uh, we also know that people in different functions like to receive different types of information in different ways. So you're basically trying to always kind of triage three different things. They're all quite complicated things in their own right. And you know, to your point, that's where you get a lot of innovation. That's actually where I'm really glad that marketing can play an active role because our creative problem-solving mindset uniquely positions us to be able to do that really, really well. And the trick is going to be able to be seen as an equal partner into sales versus falling kind of back into sales being a bit of the custodian of the customer versus you know us holding true to the things that we've learned over the last few months around you know with the data, the insights, the behavioral science that you can bring into that conversation as a true partner. Yeah, I think you bring up a fantastic point, particularly around the richness of data and and the the marketing skill set when it comes to creatively looking looking at problems. If you think about some of your uh, accounts and and what we've seen from the data is is only a small fraction. I think it's fourteen percent of businesses feel like their suppliers really understand who they are as an organisation. You, you've got access to all this wealth of information across Capita.com, across um, some of the the Martech stack that you referenced. Is it marketing's role to help? bridge that that buyer supplier disconnect well firstly i have to say i think that this was a really really interesting statistic that came out of the report i don't know if you were surprised but i was surprised surprised given how much we talk talk about insight and understanding the customer it feels like it's a bit of a buzzword as opposed to lived in practice so I, I was surprised but not not altogether given where we are yeah I mean I I guess I was surprised but not shocked <laughs> if you know what I mean yeah. and I and I and I think it is as I said it's because we're all learning as a b2b marketers and of course some people are way out ahead of where we are in capita I'm sure but you know if I think about us as a team quite often we have good data and actually good insights but we're not necessarily we don't always then take the opportunity to do the so what against that so okay we see this and we observe it but then do we really deeply embed a learning into our organization and very and then use that to really challenge some of the status quo habits that everyone falls into particularly at a time when we all also feel quite fragmented and disconnected and you know we're trying to build a team in a difficult global pandemic at home environment so I I think it's all very understandable and it is about really deeply embedding feedback and learning and trying to think about therefore what would you do differently so if we take that specific stat right I could totally see how why that's coming about and then I reflect on it and say have we completely changed how we develop and deliver content in response to a data point like that? Probably not quite. I mean, we've probably done it well in some parts, but maybe not uniformly across our business, right? So that could be what's happening there. Certainly in terms of actually answering your question, of course, it's the job of marketing to make relevance, differentiation and value creation and being able to really define that and articulate that is the job of marketing. 
I think maybe sales has done a lot of that in the past, a lot of that translating, a lot of that nuanced differentiation that we're now having to try and step into. And I think that that is, you know, a new muscle for us. Um, and account-based marketing is kind of the mechanism by which you do it. I, do, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, you know, people go, well, we're doing account-based marketing. It's like, okay, but just because you've got a group of people who are doing something called account-based marketing, we're really deeply doing account-based marketing, right? And that's something that you, Kate Owen, is, who's in my team, who leads this is excellent. And she's really good at holding us to account for that, right? So that we don't just put the label on it, but don't really, really embed it and do it. Because really it should infuse your messaging, your tone of voice, it should all be about really deeply thinking about the client and thinking about how do you present capita to that client in a way that they understand in the language that they understand in the phasing that they want it you know so you don't try and give everything at once and all of that i think is very much within the you know, preserve of marketing and i think we have a huge role to play in how we do that creatively strategically how we execute it Again, I do come back to this point, though, is it does take a real uh, sense of confidence from the marketing team to do that. So, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to really dig deep and find a level of inner confidence around doing that because it will be better for the client and therefore better for your business. So other organizations that feel that they, they have that gap, other marketing teams where there's a, an understanding or research gap, what would your advice be to those marketing leaders? So first of all, you have to really genuinely put the client first, by which I mean, I think particularly at the moment where lots of businesses are really you know either trying to survive or trying to, to make the money that they can as they can make it you know, it can be easy to be quite internally focused and to get into a world of really trying to push hard on the stuff that will help you to make your numbers however you know making sure that you really champion how the client wants to buy try and preserve a level of empathy around that and preserves and you know making sure that the tone is right and that you do going back to the point we we're making before about being easy to buy from that you do make it easy for people to understand you versus just sort of pushing out product messages all of that I think is really important and that comes from data and there's so such a great wealth of data I mean even if you don't have a CRM system which we're lucky to have you know there's all sorts of stuff you can do using platforms like LinkedIn there's loads of research you can do on those individuals everything's so transparent these days so you're really starting to understand what what does what channels do the IT directors like what does Alicia like commenting and posting on on social like all of those things are available to you you just have to take the time to find them and then to think about them and to use that insight to do something different so you carve out the time and make sure you're taking that insight and, and turning it into action brilliant advice the other one is you, you know you shouldn't you know looking at data and trying to understand what it's telling you is a bit like asking for feedback right and if you don't want <laughs> feedback you should, if you don't want feedback you shouldn't ask for it but if you do ask for it you should take it and you should do something with it and quite often what happens is you've been doing something and then the data tells you that it's not working and then you have to course correct rather than just belligerently holding on to it because either you enjoy it or you're being pushed by the business to do it or because it's worked for you in the past like the times have changed and so you know really understanding uh, the performance of the of your marketing content and channels and really trying to learn from that and not pretend that it's different to what the feedback's telling you is also quite important
thinking about reflecting back uh, that the, the old handshake between marketing and, and sales has always been marketing starts the conversation and, and sales then goes on to harvest the relationship. And we all know how critical relationships are in those $3 million plus investments. What's marketing's role in, in relationship building for you? I mean, I really think that you can start to think about a kind of almost an always on approach to relationship building. I mean, wherever you have valuable insights, your client probably wants to hear it. But it can be quite hard to scale individuals so that the sales or account leads or we have client partners in our organisation. It's quite hard for them to communicate with a whole account's worth of people all the time about things that are interesting to them. So whether you do that through marketing channels or you really highly enable your sales and account management teams to do it, thinking about how do you take insights, how do you take learnings, how do you take points of view and then package them so that they are relevant for the customer is a huge part of that. One of the things that we're looking to do is to have a whole dedicated digital channel for our top accounts. So we create an almost on-demand capita for them, which I think will be very interesting and happy to come back in six months or so and tell you about how that's gone. But all, you know, across all of that, you know, I, I think that in the same way that we were talking about omni-channel before, people are expecting you to serve the relationship in an omni-channel way. And I think that's just too hard for one group of salespeople or account managers to do. So thinking about how do you create always on loyalty and engagement programs, I think is a part of account-based marketing and something that the teams need to be able to think about as we're putting in our strategies for next year. Yeah, one of the, the points in the index um, that we've seen is is quite a lot of customers. I think four in five enterprise organisations are feeling disconnected, particularly when the vendor isn't proactive. How are you helping the organisation be more more front footed? Yeah, so I think it can help to think about sales as a channel. So you're you're thinking of feeding that channel in a way that you're feeding some of the other channels as well. I think making sure that you publicise the innovative things that you're doing, the case studies that you have, goes back to the point about. Trying to be easy to buy from and easy to understand so there is an important kind of social piece that's missing and again I, I saw from your research you know this point that you know those informal corridor type conversations aren't happening and I think a lot of us as leaders are thinking about the impact of that on our teams and our team morale and motivation and it was a really good reminder actually that it's quite important for our client relationship morale as well to think about that and you know so I've seen some organizations do some really great things about organizing cocktail parties and wine tasting and all of this sort of stuff and not really letting the physical proximity stuff get in a way so whether it's that or whether it's being done in terms of actually more uh, empathetic marketing that speaks to the sets of problems that our clients are facing versus to the point I was making just trying to tell them to buy something from you. And we've definitely seen the performance of our thought leadership around how do you engage in the strategy and thinking about solving this problem versus assuming that the client knows what that problem is, how to solve it and that they're ready to buy something from you. Yeah. And on the point you referenced, this kind of always on idea, you know, marketing content from a supplier is still the single most important prompt that we've seen in IT investments and works right through the the, the buying cycle, particularly if you customize that content. Has the role of content shifted for you as you look forward to 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think that content strategy has never been so important, really. And, you know, I see that in three ways. It's creating the right content 
based on the data about what it is that people want to read about and engage with. It's curating content. So really being quite thoughtful about what that individual, what that buying group wants to know about and, and doing some thoughtful curation around that. And then putting a level of quality assurance around it. You know, one of the things that I've often observed in B2B marketing is that there's a really specific kind of written and visual style uh, that goes with not great B2B marketing, you know, the kind of, you know, earnest people sitting around a table pointing at whiteboards as a sort of trope or the kind of looking into the mountains as you're talking about vision and strategy. And then on the written side, you know, the sort of very over contextualization. So everything starts to read a little bit like an A-level economics essay <laughs> rather than, you know, an insightful piece of thought leadership content or you know using these very sort of you know the world is changing fast you know complex decisions have become more complex and you're just like oh yawn like just tell me what give me something interesting to read so you know I think that all of those things you know the role of content curation uh, sorry, QA uh, is is very important and making sure that your message is very consistent across those channels because I think as people have come to rely on uh, digital channels more and we've certainly seen a you know, massive amount more people coming to capita.com you'll of course have seen all of the data about how far people go down the buying journey before they even speak to sales so making sure that you know your web page you know number 507 right down in your hierarchy is as good as your content on the top layer it's going to become quite a heavy burden for all of us but quite an important one because that's more and more how people are going to want to buy from you and discover yeah, and all that self-service of, of content themselves. The, just looking back to the rebrand, this the phenomenal rebrand uh, program that you rolled out both inside the business and out, how are you thinking about brand in the context of some of the customer shifts we've discussed? Well, thank you for that uh, compliment. Yeah, it was a, a brilliant piece of work to work on and you know, huge shout out to Sarah Ford and my team and the rest of, of the creative team who did, a, who did a brilliant job on that. So it goes a bit back to what I was saying right at the beginning, which is I think a brand is as important now as it has ever been, if not more, because people, you know, in this ambiguous environment where people are having to make decisions with perhaps less information than they've had to make them before and where it's, you know, you don't have an office where you can sit and really understand the chemistry and the people, you know, the brand, your brand and your personality, the personality of the brand, what you stand for is going to become incredibly important. And actually it was really useful to have done the brand's work last year because we really used our attributes as a way of validating some of the decisions we were making about how we positioned ourselves immediately post-COVID. And I thought it was a really important and useful way of understanding how did we get the tone of voice around how we engaged with our clients and prospects right to go back to those core brand principles. So I think that that's, I think brand uh, continues to be extremely important. And I think, you know, we're going to have to work quite hard. The, the, you know, the, the connection between brand and content becomes quite important because your brand principles need to then infuse all of your content um, and bringing, making yourself relevant and differentiated across every piece of content. Um, you know, your brand can help you to do that as well as, as long as your brand narrative is well articulated and people understand it. 
Yeah. And you, it sounds like you put a lot of that hard, you, the heavy lifting in <laughs> that's given you that foundation to really make sure that your content is is different. You're not just adding to the noise during this past year. Oh, yeah. And, and also using data. So there are a lot of areas where we perhaps had even more authority and more permission, permission, I should say, to talk in some spaces than perhaps even we'd expected to do. And then some areas where we, we don't have permission. And even if people internally feel quite passionate that we should be out talking about certain topics we know that actually you know we'd have to work so hard on gaining permission to be in that debate we probably it's not a good use of our marketing time and funds so again it goes back to data and what data can tell you about what you you know what is appropriate for you as a brand to be talking about I think as well you know really thinking about your brand values and what you stand for and how you you articulate that in this environment and how you kind of hold fast to that is also incredibly important And something I was reading from you recently, Antonia, was this convergence that, that you're seeing of sales, marketing, digital, and, and them all becoming essentially channels. And you described in this episode, this idea of kind of the three layers, the individuals, the buying teams, and the enterprise to enterprise link. Have you, have you thought about restructuring your marketing organization to, to align with those three layers as you head into to the, the, the next year and onwards? Well, actually, when we did our restructure last year, we built in our go-to-market team capacity to do that so our go-to-market team uh, rather than being aligned into our business model or our divisional structure business unit model we uh, aligned them into almost like client relationship type so team of people who are looking at origination team looking at renewals and retention a team looking at cross and upsell team looking at campus marketing and a team looking at brand uh, in terms of campaign activation and the reason why we did that was that I I certainly had felt you know from having done these big account-based marketing programs at Accenture and then going to Thomson Reuters and doing much more transactional subscription kind of churn type marketing really good experience for me actually I can find my joy in both places but they're not the same <laughs> and you find <laughs> and you use the you use the tools differently you use channels differently you know that on that kind of more transactional side you're driven by cost to acquire efficiency frictionless experience you're looking at micro adjustments in messaging color tone if i think about the website for example positioning of messages the tone of voice all of that sort of stuff to try and get a really quick return and you're sort of in salesforce every day trying to every minute of every day trying to understand how to optimize performance if you look at account-based marketing, much kind of more, you're doing it much more, I guess, in partnership with sales. So it's kind of done in partnership right from the outset rather than a traditional lead handoff. And a very, you know, you're really probably only marketing to a very small number of people, but you want to have a very deep and thoughtful process by which you do that, where it feels very bespoke. And probably you will find your return on that investment happening in the six month year, even two, three year time horizon. So, you know, you, you will find your, the gratification on the investment will be over a longer term as well. So really thinking about that in terms of how we motivate our team, but also people expect to be sold to in a different way. And there are some things that you buy where you're like, please don't make this hard for me to buy. I don't want to speak to seven salespeople. Just give me what I want. Um, I know exactly what it is and I know exactly how I want to buy it. Just serve it to me. Right from the other end where it's like, you are a major partner. You're delivering a huge part of our critical infrastructure or a mission critical project. 
uh, products and therefore we expect a very different experience of working with you. So we already sort of organized around that. I don't think that we've been able to necessarily realize that this year because uh, the value value embedded in that this year because of having to swarm together in COVID to make cost cuts as other people have done, to turn off agencies, to not hire some of our critical roles. But certainly I would anticipate as we move into next year, as we start to build into that model better, I will be interested and excited to share what happens as a result of organizing around that. Yeah, no, really interesting concept as uh, more more marketing leaders look at, actually, let's not have a digital team that sat there just focused on on that those those particular channels let's converge around either that those customer contexts as you've described it whether it's a renewal or upsell or key key account versus um a channel in itself yeah exactly fantastic i'd love to finish antonio if we could on what was your biggest takeaway from the the customer buying index what was the key insight that you took away we've touched on a few of them haven't we i mean i found it a very very interesting insightful and in some ways, it made me feel a bit sad, dare I say it. It was a gauntlet go- thrown to sales and marketing. But, you know, the idea of the, you know, distressed buyers is just quite a sad concept, isn't it? And, you know, the idea that, you know, our clients are actively seeking partners to help them to solve, you know, extraordinary challenges and very difficult, like complicated, ambiguous challenges. And this idea that there's lots of buyers out there desperately trying to engage with a whole series of vendors and sort of not being, and their demands not being met, I just sort of think philosophically is kind of sad. Not that it was a sad report, but it's sort of, it's a a good wake up call, right? And a good call to action. So for me, you know, I I guess there's a couple of things. So firstly, a clear call to action. There's 14% that you mentioned saying that only, you know they would only 14% I think said that they would give five out of five to vendors understanding their business that is a clear call to action for marketing and sales and something that you know you could swarm into now and come up with some really exciting innovative ways of helping to address that to help those distressed customers the second point I found very interesting was huge permission to operate. I mean, 77% say they don't feel like their vendors are communicating frequently enough. You know, we all worry about, um, oh gosh, are we over-communicating? Are we inundating people? But actually, there's a huge amount of permission there. And I think that that's a very exciting challenge for marketing in particular. And then, you know, this role of underpinning all of it, I think was a real sort of sense that, you know, the t- this is the time really for marketing to really step up as an equal player in service of the client. Uh, this is absolutely, account-based marketing has been having a moment for a while, but it's 100% is, a, a, this is suddenly a call from the client side to say, in this time, we need account-based marketing kind of more than ever before. Question mark about whether we should call it account-based marketing or something else, but certainly <laughs> account-based engagement or whatever we would want to call it. So, you know, I think a lot of richness in this report and I actually took a huge, uh, you know, it's become a bit of a call to action for me as I look at it as to say, okay, there's some urgent needs that honestly we could and should be addressing right now. So great report. Yeah, it's a, a brilliant summary. I think we are at a, a crossroads and I, I think you've um, summarized it in quite an inspiring way and I'm excited to see uh, see what next year brings for, for you and the team. Oh, thank you. Well, and to you and thank you to and the team for putting together these series of reports. Actually, I think they're just really excellent. And I would encourage marketers to really look at them and start to think about how can you respond to, as we've been talking about responding to data, how do you respond to the data that you're hearing <laughs> in this report? So yeah, thank you. Well, that brings us full circle. Antonia, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a fascinating discussion. I found it really inspiring talking to you and um, look forward to seeing you soon. Pleasure. Thank you. 
podcast is brought to you by Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. You can learn more at wearemomentum.com.